Chapter 5 The Real Christ His Compassion Let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God hath made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom ye crucified. Acts chapter 2 verse 36 But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion, and came to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on them oil and wine. And he set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow he took out two shillings, and gave them to the host, and said, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, I, when I come back again, will repay thee. Go, and do thou likewise. Luke chapter 10, verses 33 through 35, and verse 37. He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. So far we have studied four features of the picture that God has drawn in his word of the real Christ. His holiness, his love for God the Father, his love for men, and his love for souls. In this chapter, we will study the fifth feature in that picture, His Compassion. Though I have given considerable study to this subject in years past, I never dreamed until I went to work on the present chapter how much there was on the subject for the message. This chapter is primarily for the benefit of the preacher. However, I hope it will mean as much for many of you as it has meant for me. As I have studied what God has to say on this subject, in the picture he has drawn of the Christ in the four Gospels. I wish to call your attention particularly to the second text, which we will study in more detail later. It is, as most of you doubtless recognize, taken from the parable of the Good Samaritan. Anyone who understands that parable must see a picture of Jesus Christ himself in it. He alone fully answers to the picture which he has drawn. He tells us what we should do, but in doing so, he states what he has already done. What I have discovered regarding the compassion of the real Christ in the study of the picture God has given in the four Gospels, we will arrange under two general categories. First, the objects of Christ's compassion, and second, the way in which the compassion of the Christ was manifested. The Objects of Christ's Compassion who were the objects of Christ's compassion? The multitudes. In the first place, he has compassion on the multitudes. In no less than five separate passages in the Gospels is the fact mentioned that Jesus Christ had compassion on the multitudes. One passage is Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were distressed and scattered, as sheep not having a shepherd. In this case, it was the fact that the multitudes were distressed and scattered as sheep having no shepherd that moved our Lord to compassion. That is a true description of the multitudes, the crowds, and the throngs today, even as it was of the multitudes in our Lord's day. Oh, how unshepherded the great masses of men are today, and how sorely distressed they are. Suppose our Lord Jesus were here today. How would he feel toward the heedless, thoughtless, unsatisfied, unshepherded multitudes that crowd our streets and parks, our places of amusement, our seaside and mountain resorts? How does our Lord feel today as He looks upon the unshepherded and distressed millions in China, 
and other lands. The attitude of our Lord toward the multitudes, the ordinary herd of men and the masses as distinguished from the classes, was in striking contrast to the attitude of the other religious leaders of the day, the scribes and Pharisees. They regarded the multitudes as accursed by God. When Nicodemus lifted his voice in favor of Jesus, the Pharisees said, Hath any of the rulers believed on him, or of the Pharisees? But this multitude that knoweth not the law are accursed. John chapter 7 verses 48 through 49. The attitude of many of our religious leaders today toward the multitudes is more like that of the Pharisees than it is like that of Christ. What does it matter to them what becomes of the mob, the crowd, the masses, or the common herd, if we can only gather people of intelligence and position and wealth and influence in our churches? There is no question how we ought to feel if we are real Christians, if we are followers of the real Christ. But how do you feel toward the great heedless masses of men and women, the multitudes? In Mark chapter 8, verse 2, it was the fact that the multitude was hungry that moved Christ to compassion. He said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Not only the spiritual destitution of men, but their physical need as well appealed to the compassion of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, the fact of seeing the crowd as a crowd moved our Lord to compassion. We read, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion toward them. Whenever Jesus saw a crowd of men, he was moved with compassion. A crowd of men is a pitiful sight. It represents so much sorrow, so much need, so much pain, and so much sin. What is your feeling when you look out upon a crowd? Is it mere curiosity? Is it contempt? Is it indifference? Or is it compassion? Judging from the context of this last passage, the sick seem to have especially drawn out the compassion of the Lord Jesus. The Grieving Jesus Christ had compassion on those who had lost loved ones. We see a beautiful and touching instance of this in Luke. Now when he drew near to the gate of the city, behold, there was carried out one that was dead, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. Luke chapter 7 verses 12 through 13. The woman was a perfect stranger to our Lord, but as he saw her deep and bitter sorrow over the loss of her only son, his whole heart was stirred with compassion for her. He is just the same today. Christ Jesus is the same yesterday and today, yea, and forever. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8. Ah, how many a lonely sorrower thinks no one cares, but Jesus cares. How unlike Christ Jesus are the Christian scientists. They have no compassion on the bereaved one. No, not for a moment. There is no such thing as death, they say. Those who you think are dead have only passed on. You must not weep, and I won't weep with you. It is true that in this instance our Lord Jesus told the woman not to weep, but it was not because her only beloved son, of whom she was separated, had passed on, 
but because he would be immediately restored alive to her. And at the tomb of Lazarus, as he saw Mary and Martha weeping over the death of their brother Lazarus, he wept too, though he knew their sorrow was but for a moment, and was founded on a misunderstanding, and that in a few minutes it would be changed into exceeding joy. Nevertheless, their sorrow was real, and as it was theirs, it was his also. Oh, what an utter difference there is between the conduct of the unmotherly Mother Eddie, the false Christ, and her satellites toward the sorrowing, and the conduct of our Lord Jesus, the real Christ. One of the most loathsome features of Christian science is its conduct toward the sorrowing. It is cold, heartless, brute-like, selfish, and utterly lacking in sympathy and compassion. The Afflicted People Jesus Christ had compassion on all men who were afflicted by any form of misfortune, misery, wretchedness, or degradation. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 34, we are told he had compassion on two blind beggars at the gate of Jericho. And Jesus, being moved with compassion, touched their eyes, and straightway they received their sight and followed him. In Mark, we are told he had compassion on a poor demonized boy, and oft times it hath cast him both into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And when Jesus saw that a multitude came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I command thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. Mark chapter 9, verse 22 and verse 25. In Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 41, we are told he had compassion on a leper. And there cometh to him a leper, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And being moved with compassion, he stretched forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will, be thou made clean. The world, even the religious world of that day, met the leper with repulsion and disgust, and scorn. Christ met him with compassion. The world drew away from him. Christ drew toward him. Every form of misfortune and misery touched his heart. He entered into it as if it were his own. Here again we see the wide difference between the real Christ and the Christ of Christian science. Is a man sick? That awakens no sympathy in a Christian scientist. No, it awakens only reproach. You have no right to be sick, says the Christian scientist. You are in error. Sickness is only illusion, mortal thought. But Jesus, the real Christ, had compassion on the sick and healed the real sickness and gave real healing, charging nothing. But the Christian scientist practitioner heals an imaginary sickness, a sickness that is only in your mind with an imaginary healing, a healing that is also only in your mind, for real money, money that is not only in your mind but is also in the practitioner's palm and is put into the practitioner's bulging bank account. Jesus Christ did not go about his work from a cold sense of duty, but his whole heart drew him out toward those he helped and saved. His deeds of mercy cost him something more than the sacrifice of leisure and the expenditure of effort and power. They cost him heartaches. He made other men's sorrows, his own sorrows, 
Other men's agony, his own agony. Other men's sin and shame, his own sin and shame. He could not look upon misery, sickness, pain, death, or sin without heart pangs. We read in John chapter 11, verse 33, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping who came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Herein lay one great secret of his power. The misery we make our own, we can comfort. The deficiency we make our own, we can fully satisfy. The sin we make our own, we can save another from. And this is what we read about our Lord Jesus in Paul's epistle to the Corinthians. Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Real power to help men is an expensive thing, but anyone can have it who is willing to pay the price. But the one who is not willing to give up lightness of heart and take instead the burden of the heart over the world's sin and sorrow and shame may as well give up the thought of being a helper and even more a savior of men. Men cannot be saved by burning words. No, only by bleeding hearts. In Dundee, Scotland, lived a lady of wealth and position, but she was also a Christian. Her interest was not in society and fashion, but in the poor, the needy, the fallen, and the outcast. One time this Christian lady became interested in a very depraved and hardened woman who was brought to the home for the fallen. This woman was dying from the results of her sin, but every attempt to interest her in the sinner's friend and Savior, our Lord Jesus, had failed. Her time was growing very short. The woman of wealth and position, the true follower of the real Christ, went to see her. As she tried to speak to her about the Savior she woefully needed, the dying woman only grew angry, more angry and more hard and bitter. With a breaking heart, the Christ-like woman leaned over the dying sinner. She could not hold back the tears, and they fell from her eyes upon the cheek of the dying woman. Instantly, that hard heart broke, and the outcast listened, saw Jesus, believed in him, and was saved. Afterwards, she said, it was the tear that did it. Oh, how this sorrow-stricken, sin-ruined world of ours, staggering toward its doom, needs men and women with a heart of compassion like our Lord's to tell it the story of the dying love and the resurrection power of the Son of God. How the Compassion of the Real Christ Was Manifested What we have just said brings us naturally to the way in which the compassion of the real Christ was manifested. Sharing Sorrows The compassion of Jesus Christ was manifested in making the sorrows of others His own. We see this in John chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping who came with her, he groaned in the spirit, and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? They say unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The Jews therefore said, Behold how he loved him. As we have already seen, the sorrow of these bereaved sisters was only for a moment, and it was founded on a misunderstanding. In a few minutes, it would be exchanged for the exceeding joy of having their brother restored to them alive and well. But their sorrow was real, 
and because it was theirs, it was Christ's also. Speaking for God, Paul commands us to weep with them that weep. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Oh, how little some of us do this. I have spoken of the utter heartlessness of the Christian scientists, which is a matter of principle with them. It is an essential part of their religion, a close following in the footsteps of their Lord, Mary Baker Eddy. But there is altogether too much heartlessness in professing evangelical Christians, which is diametrically opposed to their religion, to the example of their Lord, and to the teaching of the entire Bible. We are too busy, too busy sometimes in religious activities to stop to enter into the sorrow of others and to weep with them that weep. But the real Christ, in spite of all the work that was crowded into the three and one-half years of his very busy public life, was not too busy to stop, to weep with them that weep. We read in Matthew chapter 20, verses 30-34, through 34, that when he was hurrying forward on the most urgent business of his life, as he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, Luke chapter 9, verse 51, to his atoning death, two blind beggars in their misery called to him. The disciples rebuked them and told them not to bother Jesus with their petty sorrows when he was on such an important mission. But Scripture says that Jesus stood still and called them. Oh, if only we were more like him, never too busy to stop to sympathize with and help the suffering, no matter how insignificant they may be in the eyes of the world. Meeting Needs the compassion of Jesus Christ was manifested not only in feelings and words, but also in action, in self-sacrificing, persistent, thoroughgoing service to the needs of the destitute. We see this vividly and graphically in the parable of the Good Samaritan. As already noted, the Good Samaritan is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Note that when he saw the poor, wounded, robbed, stripped, naked, half-dead man, he had compassion on him. But that was not all. His compassion was not of that shallow, unreal sort that evaporates in sentiment and tears and expressions of sympathy. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come back again I will repay thee. Luke chapter 10, verses 33-35 through 35. His compassion showed itself in action, self-sacrificing action. He put the wounded man on his own beast. He walked so the injured might ride. He went without so the injured might have. He took the injured to an inn, stayed with him, paid his bill and provided for his future needs. His action was persistent and thorough. It did not only last for the passing hour, but he also stayed by the man until he could care for himself. Such was the compassion of the Christ of God, and such should be ours. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. 1 John chapter 2 verse 6 patient teaching and healing. The compassion of Jesus Christ toward the unshepherded was manifested in His patience, teaching them, healing the sick, and feeding the hungry. 
We see the first part of this in Mark chapter 6, verse 34. And he came forth and saw a great multitude, and he had compassion on them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. At this time he was weary and sore at heart. He had just heard of the death of his cousin and faithful friend John the Baptist, and had gone aside with the disciples for quiet and rest. But he saw the crowd, the great unshepherded mob of common people, the neglected multitude. His heart was moved with compassion. Forgetting his own weariness and sorrow and the crying need of these neglected thousands of the masses, he spent the whole day in teaching them the great truths of the kingdom, which he made so simple that the common people could understand him, and they heard him gladly. He taught them before he fed them, for the needs of their souls were far deeper and far greater than the needs of their bodies. So it is today. The intellectual and spiritual needs of the masses are far greater than their physical needs, and a wise Christ-like compassion will minister to their spiritual and moral needs before it does to their physical needs. It is often said that Jesus fed the bodies of men before he sought to teach and save them, but the inspired record tells us differently. Our Lord was not foolish as to try to reach the superficial need before attending to the deeper spiritual need beneath it. Here is where the social service enthusiasts are making a colossal blunder at home and in the foreign field. We do well to follow in our Master's footsteps. But Jesus did not stop with ministering to the spiritual needs beneath their physical needs. He also ministered to their bodies. He ministered to their hunger and to their sickness. He fed and healed them. This we see in Matthew's account of the same incident. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him, and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. Matthew chapter 15, verse 32. Christianity exalts the spirit of man, but it does not forget or neglect the body. It first teaches and heals the spirit, and then feeds and heals the body. Social service is all right if we put it in its right place. Our Lord's compassion began with the spiritual needs of the multitude, but it did not end there. The salvation that the real Christ brings is salvation for spirit and soul and body, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, but it puts the Spirit first. The manifestation of Christ's compassion in teaching the unshepherded is a manifestation we can all imitate, even though we have no money to feed the hungry or the gift of healing to help the sick. If you can do no more, you can find some unshepherded child on the street, and the streets are full of them, and teach him. Touching the compassion of Jesus Christ was manifested when he put forth his hand and touched the leper. We see this in Mark. And there cometh to him a leper, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And being moved with compassion, he stretched forth his hand and touched him. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 41. When one stops to reflect upon this incident and our Lord's action, there is something exquisitely beautiful in it. For years that leper had not felt the touch of a clean and loving hand. 
His nearest friends and dearest relatives shrank from him. He was indeed an outcast. Whenever a clean man or woman approached him, he was forced to betray his misfortune and the danger of contact with him by crying out in a strained, hoarse voice, Unclean! Unclean! And now he approached Jesus and cried, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And the heart of our Lord went out to him in infinite compassion, and he stretched forth his hand and touched him, and by that touch he healed him. Many today need and long for the touch of a clean hand, and the touch will heal them. Ah, but we shrink away. How the holy woman shrinks away from the vile woman on the street. How the holy man shrinks from the touch of the licentious man, the moral leper. And that is natural, and that is right to a certain point. But if you desire to help and save, then compassion must triumph over moral aversion, and we must get near the sinner and reach out our hand and touch him. You cannot save sinners at the end of a forty-foot pull. You must get within touching distance. You must touch. When Mr. Alexander and I were in Bolton, England, we had a midnight sweep of the streets. We gathered the drunkards whom the taverns dumped into the street at that hour, formed a procession, and brought them to the armory. Three or four thousand men and women, many of them very drunk, were brought into the building. It was an awful-looking company of men and women. Mrs. Alexander had found a degraded, bloated, loathsome-looking woman on the street. She sat with her during the meeting and dealt with her in the discussion after the meeting. This repulsive-looking woman turned to Mrs. Alexander and said, You do not love me. Mrs. Alexander replied, Yes, I do. Kiss me, then, she cried, and Mrs. Alexander kissed her and won her for Christ. On one of my last visits to Chicago, a man came to me whom I had known years before. John Woolley had sent him to me the first time. He had sent him hundreds of miles to be helped, after he had professed conversion. He had been a drunkard and a crook, and he soon went back into his drunkenness and crookedness. Attempt after attempt was made by man after man to rescue him, but all attempts failed. He simply manipulated the people who tried to help him. Years had been spent in the attempt to rescue him, and I had not seen him for years until that night. He came to me as I stepped down from the platform and said to me, Mr. Torrey, I am a saved man now. I have been saved for some time, and I am helping to save others, but I am very ill with tuberculosis. I wanted to see you before I die, so I have come over tonight for that purpose. I have a good position. I need nothing. But what I wanted to tell you was this. I have never forgotten the day you knelt beside me and put your arm around me and talked to me and prayed for me. I have fallen repeatedly since that time, but how often I have felt your arm around me. Even in the prison cell, I have felt your arm around me, and Mr. Torrey, that is what led me at last to accept Christ and be saved. Oh yes, in the prison cell, the memory of it helped me, and it saved me at last. I am dying. I don't have many months to live, but I felt I must tell you this before I died. Friends, this world is full of men like that, and full of women like the one Mrs. Alexander kissed. They are longing for real compassion, 
the compassion that gets right alongside them and touches them and saves them. The man of whom I spoke was one of the most unlikely men to be helped by such an act, of all the outcasts I have ever known. Never did I feel more like telling a man to be gone and never let me see him again than I did with that man. I knew he was a crook. I knew he was a professional worker of kind-hearted people, and those like that are among the most hopeless of men. But compassion conquered and saved even him. Welcoming and Forgiving What we have said leads naturally to the fifth way in which the compassion of Jesus Christ was manifested. It was manifested in welcoming and pardoning the sinner, and bidding the sinner to go in peace. This we see in an instance to which I referred earlier, of the love of the real Christ for men. We find it in the seventh chapter of Luke. A woman, who was a notorious outcast at Capernaum, may have heard Jesus say, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. If so, those words had gone straight to her heart and led her to believe in him. When the crowd broke up, she followed him down the street and saw him enter the house of Simon the Pharisee. Then she hurried home and took her most cherished possession, her costly alabaster box of expensive ointment. She hurried back to Simon's house, stole in through the open door, approached Jesus as he reclined at the table, leaned over his bare feet, and wet them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon the Pharisee and the other guests were shocked that our Lord would even allow such a woman, so notorious a sinner, to touch him. But the heart of our Lord Jesus went out in compassion toward the woman, vile and sunken though she had been, and looking into those tear-dimmed eyes, he said to her, Thy sins are forgiven. And then he said to her, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace." Luke chapter 7, verse 48 and verse 50. So we too, instead of turning from the sinful in disgust, or repelling them when they repent and wish to do better, must welcome them and bid them to go in peace. We will close this chapter with this manifestation of the compassion of our Lord, but just these two thoughts in closing. First, Jesus Christ, the real Christ, the only real Christ, is just the same today as when he walked this earth. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, yea, and forever. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Second, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. It is difficult to follow our Lord Jesus, the Christ of God, in his holiness, but for many of us, it is far more difficult to follow him in his compassion. This is not a compassionate age. We may talk as we please about the brotherhood of man. We may multiply our humane societies and our Red Cross societies, but our almsgiving, our social service, and our general helpfulness is of an institutional character and lacks the warm, personal element. It lacks the touch of Christ-like compassion. We act through our various agencies instead of going forth as our Lord Jesus did by getting into actual living, loving, compassionate touch with the individual in sorrow, distress, bereavement, or sin in this sorrowing, broken-hearted world of ours. Even we preachers want men to be saved by preaching from the pulpit rather than by getting right in touch with you and your needs 
and your sorrow and your sin, and church members follow in our steps. O friends, follow in the steps of the real Christ and mingle with men, the poor, the sorrowing, the sick, and the sinful. Make their sorrows your own as Christ did. Then and then only you can save them.